TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. Joanna Macy remembers Thich Nhat Hanh. An interview by lay Buddhist practitioner Joe Confino. Thanks to the Plum Village Channel for excerpts from a 90-minute conversation about peace and looming war and active love set in motion against climate change. Thich Nhat Hanh was a Vietnamese monk, peace activist, poet, author, teacher, and an inspiration for engaged Buddhism. Called Thai for short, he was exiled from Vietnam in 1966 after expressing opposition to the war. A year later, Martin Luther King nominated him for a Nobel Peace Prize. After 39-year exile, Thai was permitted to visit Vietnam in 2005. He died on January 22, 2022, age 95. Buddhist scholar Joanna Macy has lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for much of her life. While I was living there, I never missed a chance to hear her and talk to her. What intrigued me most were her anti-nuclear campaigns, her many ways to inspire peace, and her early recognition about the climate crisis and motivation to protect the living world. All was animated by her practice of love and engaged Buddhism. Here's Joe Confino. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems change. And today we have the honor of speaking with Joanna Macy, the famous Buddhist scholar, environmental activist, and expert on general systems theory and deep ecology. Joanna, welcome. I'm delighted to be here. Good morning to you in your late afternoon. It'd be great maybe to start, obviously, um, with the passing of uh, Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. Joanna, it'd be lovely just to get a sense of the impact of Thai's passing. When did you hear about it and, and how did you respond? Well, of course, a lot of people were telling me and, and my uh, heart, mind, body uh, couldn't believe it. And uh, in a sense, it didn't, made no sense. Uh, but then the remarkable thing is that in this case, so a lot of people, you can imagine for me in my 90s, how many people I've heard about dying. But this, in this case with Ty, it soon became a, not news of a loss, but an experience of almost an intensification of uh, his presence in the world. The world seemed fuller than ever, uh, I mean, really full of, of, of Thai, uh, that it was what he meant was so close to the very nature of our world, to the air we breathe, to the way the light comes in, uh, to the joy that there is in being alive, uh, the pain there is in seeing sorrow. It all was resonant with the presence of Thai, not his absence. And so it seemed to me in the days and, and weeks that have followed 
that people are relishing and and, and as they remember there's uh, their remembering is washed with gratitude one reason of course that he was so important to me was that oh, i'm going to cry again but was that uh, he loved this world and i'm so fed up with spiritual people who think they can rise above mere phenomenality and physical world it's all one to see uh, that he had had time in his life to uh, bring into being Plum Village as well as so many wonderful books and so many teachings and so many lives that he touched. What a blessing and, and how grateful we can be. He saw so much death around him when he was a young monk in Vietnam. Recently, there's been the publications of those early days uh, from Parallax Press. Fragrant palm leaves when he was remembering, seeking a place with his young brother monks and sister nuns that there could be a rejoice. He had so much courage and the imagination, the combination of courage, imagination and devotion to life in service to the Buddha Dharma, that he could always, always seeking from a young man, ways through the school for social service or the temple he was building with the, that he described in fragrant uh, palm leaves that could, because he loved this world. He loved this world and so do I. And that's why I have been so deeply, wonderfully blessed, feel blessed to know him because he echoed, or I could say, yes, it is fitting. Uh, you don't try to be a spiritually perfect person. You want to just be open to love. And that love wipes out fear, and that love takes you into this world. And it gives you strength and courage. And he, I'm sorry, I didn't, I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm so happy about this. I can't help but cry. My heart is crying too. What, 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 are, what are your tears telling you? That he's alive. And we are, we enter our, if ever there is, a message in our grief and in our love at his passing. I guess that's it, that we belong to each other. Uh, there's no limits to the joy that comes uh, with having a way to know and express your deepest feelings and knowings. So uh, what I loved was back when I had, because uh, he, he'd been important to me since the 1960s uh, when he was in Vietnam and then had to leave. And I was already knowing that and, and following that to some extent. And then his coming uh, with through the uh, Quakers and the Fellowship of Reconciliation to 
the U.S. and, and tour. And so watching that, I didn't know him and ever meet him till 1982. And Joanna, I'm just wondering, I mean, you're, you're, you know, there are lots of people who have never met Ty. There are very few people who have known him as you have over more than 40 years. It'd be lovely. Uh, it went back 50. 50. So it'd be, it would be lovely for our readers, our listeners rather, to, to just get a sense of um, what impression he made on you when you first met him. Can I go back to just when I first uh, found out about him? Sure, of course. Yeah, because like, that was in the 1960s. And that was when I encountered the Buddha Dharma. And uh, as I, I uh, and that was in Northern India when I was working with Tibetan refugees. And it became my path and my gladness and my love and my purpose. <laughs> I wanted to teach it. In the university, I remember after I thought, so I went home and stopped everything else and studied. Um, I loved the teaching about the Bodhisattva when I heard about it. And I thought, what a wonderful idea that came in 2,000 years ago in the tradition. How wonderful it was that they saw that. It's, and then when I uh, learned that there was this monk in Vietnam, and then he was brought on a visit, though I didn't meet him then, uh, to the United States by the uh, Fellowship of Reconciliation and the Quakers, and there were pictures of him and poems, uh, I thought, oh, that's a bodhisattva. They're alive in the world today. He is actually working to bring sanity and peace in Vietnam. He is struggling there. He's, he's teaching young people how they can go into the villages and help the pillages, you know, during the years of the, what they call the American War there. So, uh, right on, I saw uh, Thich Nhat Hanh as a, a, a comforting thought uh, or a challenging, beautiful thought, energizing thought that the bodhisattva, uh, there are bodhisattvas in our world today. That's major. When I went to the university to study, I said, I'd like to study about and even make a course on religion and revolution. And the professors say, what? Those are opposite things. What do you mean religion and revolution? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, of course, I, I, that's what I want. I want to see how the spiritual teachings uh, are not separate from your work for justice and peace in the world. That's what, that's a revolution. At any rate, so that he I was enshrined in that. I'm sorry to be talking so slowly, but I'm not get the point well. And then, then reading him, and then much later, in uh, forty years ago, now forty years ago, 
this June, I uh, met him. And that was at the United Nations Special Session on Disarmament. It was a very moving, because th that was the time of the insane <laughs> under President Reagan and his war against the evil empire, an insane amount of nuclear arms race uh, and military gestures and are putting uh, missiles all over uh, Europe to close get closer to menace the Soviet Union. And, um, and at that time, this went, so people poured out to the United Nations. There was a march there across New York of a million people. I was there, but at the, near the UN was, a, I can't remember where exactly, but there was a, a very formal, official, um, pompous even, uh, meeting of uh, religious leaders. And they were patriarchs and they were bishops and one after another would come in to address the uh, audience and uh, they were all in their fine robes and and mitres and imposing. And then at the end, uh, my heart beat faster. Oh, this take not how I'm now going to see him and <laughs> true with my eyes. And then from stage, <laughs> I love this. I just love it. From stage left comes this slight figure in a plain brown coat. And he walking out, no papers in his hand for what I was going to read. And he just walked quietly out to the mic, reached in his pocket. And all he said was, on the way here, I wrote a poem. I will read it to you. And that was his speech. And the speech was, call me by my true names. It was the first time I had heard it. Or those words, uh, I am a frog swimming happily in a pond, and I am the grass snake quietly consuming him. I am the girl throwing herself in the ocean after being raped by the sea pirate, and I am the sea pirate, I'm not uh, able yet to learn to love. So, <laughs> and that was it. And those words meant more than all to me, and I couldn't imagine not to others uh, what all the words that were spoken so resonantly and importantly as of important people, all these important voices. Ty had, a, had an absolute knack. I've seen it in so many situations where he could deflate the pompous, the self-important. And it was one of his most amazing capacities to teach, styles of teaching. 
And Joanna, what, what impact did that poem have on you? What, why, why do you, what do you feel it was telling us in the world? Well, I would, uh, in Joanna language for me, I said what I saw as I'd seen in other amazing people, uh, and it doesn't have to be Buddhist, you know, it's because my roots were Christ, Christian, is that we're here, uh, we're given this life to the, live this life in service to love. And um, he was able uh, to uh, do this in his way without sentimentality, with seeing that the heartbreaking cost in service to the gift of life, the preciousness of each moment, each breathing moment we can live uh, is for that. So it's, it sort of slaps, I love that, it slaps you awake and jerks you back from your self-importance, you're thinking that you've made it, the concerns about rank, uh, titles, and that you remember like the true saints, like St. Francis. You know, when St. Francis, during the Crusades, went to talk to a Muslim leader, a high imam, he just, he just walked uh, and he was soiled and he looked like a beggar. So this world is too fragile and too beautiful uh, for us to hesitate for a moment to, in service to peace. And right now, my country is trying to go to war. Right now, our president is using every excuse he can, it seems, it seems, to find reason to use our huge military machine against Russia fostering a crisis. So our society uh, as a whole is uh, trembling with the uh, chaotic uh, feelings of, of what are we here for? What are we here for? To, to uh, feed the weapons makers? Their stock is going very high. Ooh. Everyone who's invented in the uh, nuclear weapons, oh, a lot of money. So the ties work on devotion to, to peace is just as important to every breath we take um, as it ever was. I've just finished um, bringing up a book that I am so excited about, uh, and it it's uh, a new edition, but very rewritten um, and newly written called Active Hope. And uh, it is saying that our hope is in what we, not what we just like to see, or what we think is happening, or what we think it looks like this is, I'm hopeful because of some outer, outer phenomenon. But this is what I really want to have, what I'm ready, even if it's not very likely, is what I'm ready to give my life for. So that 
deep intention. So it's a celebration of intention and an intention that I see in every aspect of uh, Ty's life too. How we can, in our manner, in our thinking, in our breathing, it's all imbued with a recognition of our belonging, our mutual belonging with all the world. And that mutual belonging touches our responsibility that we enter our so that we can, we must take part in our world. And I think of that as I see now uh, in the climate crisis, the threat to everything, every aspect of our world and our existence. We are closer to its chaotic collapse than at any time of our history, of our existence. That's what the scientists are saying. And we've got this decade. We haven't yet begun to lower the emissions and the desecration of our world. So it's been very easy for people to talk about, especially here in you know where I live, uh, this country, fighting climate change. It's as if climate change is an enemy. And I am finding myself invited by Ty's teachings to keep saying, this bringing uh, every effort to engage in all those practices of ours, all every aspect of our life, to see it now, how this, this feeds uh, the uh, greenhouse gas emissions, this feeds the loss of biodiversity, this action, this policy, these things of ours that bring up the sea level rise, and to see that as not an enemy to fight, but an invitation to engage in seeing the factors, every factor that can help us enhance our world, to see that it's climate catastrophe is an invitation to us to express our appreciation and understanding of our interbeing so that we can stop throwing our waste into the sea, into the ocean, that we can put our waste in ways that are not poisoning the world. And it's an invitation to be with our world in a new way. What my co-author uh, up in Scotland and I uh, are bringing out this new edition of Active Hope. The earlier edition was How to Face the Mess, with the subtitle, the How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. And this Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In with Unexpected Resilience and Creative Power. One of my favorite sections in the middle was 
we can find it's not just some ornery chores that we could or giving money to 350.org or um, uh, marching, but it, the way we do all our living and uh, that what helps us do with joy and with fresh eyes uh, a way of living more fully on this planet. And these transformations, what we call a wider sense of self, to recognize that you interexist with the natural world, with that flower, with the uh, sanitation truck, just uh, taking the trash from front of my house or from the, uh, we interexist with the empty mansions and the crowded tenements in our world. And that wider sense of self brings a sense of interexistence and and affection and love with so much around our world. And then that's a different kind of power, that our power is not power over, but power with. And with so much uh, wonderful uh, examples and ways of experiencing that in our life, that uh, you can find that your power with is you actually can feel as that collaboration uh, is so transforming to your life that you can do this and you can work in tandem or in collaboration with the peoples, with the critters, uh, with the ecology. And this gives you a sense of community, brings that a reality of community. And then uh, it brings in what we can find with time itself. Uh, we are building weapons and nuclear contamination uh, and weapons that last until the end of time. Part of what our weapons, when they are used, like depleted uranium, they la that poison lasts four and a half billion years. It does. It's the size. It's so we <laughs> we're capable now of doing things of of almost erasing time, and in working with that, we find that we can be supported by, and and we have exercises as we speak with future beings, future. The, they're with us in this moment because what we're doing now affects everyone who will live until the uh, end of Earth. And so we can imagine we're doing it for them, we're doing it with them, relishing, feeling a partnership and that uh, with people who are uh, living in the future and who will be uh, contending with what we've left them. That was Joanna Macy, environmental activist and scholar of Buddhism, general systems theory, and deep ecology. She's the author of 13 books, her most recent one, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In with Unexpected Resilience and Creative Power. She and Joe Confino spoke about the legacy of the Vietnamese monk Thich Nhat Hanh, a beloved peace activist, poet, author, teacher, 
and an inspiration for engaged Buddhists. He died on January 22, 2022, age 95. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. Look at the newest programs or the podcast page. While you're there, you can subscribe to weekly free podcasts. Our email address is tuc at tucradio.org. My name is Maria Geleiden. Thank you for listening.